Thank you, Mr. League, and greetings to all our brethren around the world, and welcome to all our guests. It's a beautiful day here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We wish uh, those of you who are around the world could come visit us at our headquarters sometime. We have uh, 182 or so here today, and we'll be going to another venue next Sabbath, a very beautiful auditorium where we're expanding, of course. We had 221 last week, so uh, we're growing and we need a larger location. You probably read today's news headlines in the Charlotte Observer. Dictators fall heralds a new era for Egypt. Military in charge after Mubarak flees. End of 30-year rule raises stakes for the United States. And then another headline. Jubilant crowds shout, Egypt is free. What does that mean for the future? Another headline, democracy or radicals with Mideast in the balance. So some think that this is a, this 211 is a bookend to 911 and that democracy will now spread throughout the Arab world. Now others see danger of a new dictatorship or anarchy that could lead to, quote, fresh foothold in Arab populations of extremism. You'll want to review Dr. Meredith's recent sermon on the King of the South. And as you heard of the announcements, he just taped the telecast two days ago on the Middle East in prophecy. Uh, that will be airing in April. So you want to be sure to see that telecast. Today's uh, Wall Street Journal also had the headline, Asia's New Arms Race. Quote, as China grows wealthier and builds up its military, other nations in the region are taking note and amassing weapons of their own. So we see the development of military power expanding all around the world to other nations in Asia that will ultimately lead to Armageddon. But we, brethren, in spite of all these dangers, need to focus on our mission. We will face trying days and weeks and months ahead, and we need the faith, the courage, and vision. And we will need to encourage one another. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews 10 gives us this instruction. It talks about the day approaching. Do we see the day approaching, and what do we need to do in those circumstances? Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, so we encourage one another, and we stir one another to good works and love because we show love to one another. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but notice this, <clears throat> but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to encourage one another. We need to exhort one another to make sure that we don't give in to our Achilles heel, as we heard in the sermonette, and that we are overcomers. The NIV states this, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The NRSV says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, uh, day approaching. And so, brethren, we do need to encourage one another. We need to support one another, and we need to exhort one another because we do see the day approaching. In today's sermon, we'll discuss ways to overcome discouragement and ways to encourage others. The title of the sermon is Encourage One Another. I'll tell you a story, a personal story, of a car accident I had years ago. I was headed back in my 1951 Chevrolet to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute from my home in Meriden, Connecticut, about a two or two and a half hour drive. And uh, as a young man, of course, I was trying to set a time record to get back to uh, the college. It was a wrong goal, of course. And not only was it a wrong goal, but I had bald tires on my 51 Chevy, and it was raining. But I was pushing it and pushing it. I went around a curve, and, of course, with the slick ball tires and the rainy slick pavement, I spun out into the opposing lane where headed towards me was a heavy reinforced milk truck. 
The milk truck did not move. I crashed into it with my right rear uh, panel and smashed it in. Well, I was ticketed. The policeman came and gave me a ticket. I was able to pull the fender out enough to drive the rest of the way back to college. And uh, later I had to appear in court. I had to drive back an hour to this little town. And I was fined $9 for not yielding the right of way to the milk truck. <clears throat> well, there were several lessons uh, in that experience. First of all, I didn't recognize the danger of my car of having bald tires. I shouldn't have had bald tires. And uh, knowing the danger, I shouldn't have been pushing it on rainy, slick highways. But, you know, when I told my mother this, because I had back, I, she said, well, Richard, why did you do this? I said, Mom, you didn't tell me to be careful. <laughs> so I blame, you know, in a sense, I blamed her. Well, it wasn't her fault. It was obviously my fault. But, you know, ever since that experience, I tell my wife or anyone, be careful, drive carefully. We need to encourage one another. Do we regularly encourage one another? I just taped a telecast here recently on five ways to enrich your marriage. I've told you this story before, but do you express affection to your husband or to your wife? Simple hugs and kisses when you leave for work or when you return, they're very important. I once read a report from a German insurance company that concluded that men who kiss their wives every day are less prone to accidents and are generally more successful financially than men who do not kiss their wives every day. Well, of course, I wasn't married when I had that accident for that time. <laughs> but I made sure, ever since reading that, I made sure to kiss my wife every morning before leaving for work. And the one day I didn't, I backed my car into a tree. <laughs> and so I have always tried to... Kiss my wife before leaving for work. I make sure of that every morning. Well, years ago, Dr. Meredith wrote two classic examples on Christian responsibility. One was what all husbands need to know. And that was in the Plain Truth magazine, June 1966. A number one responsibility of five for the husbands towards their wives is love and respect. Number two is support and encouragement. So that's the emphasis I want to give in the sermon today, is that of encouraging one another. I'll just mention the others. Three, leadership and guidance. Four, help, help and protection. And five, inspiration to grow. I can tell you other stories of some uh, men who said, well, uh, you know, you're going to serve me. You don't want to uh, develop your um, uh, cello music anymore. Forget it. Uh, that particular minister's wife was very disappointed because the husband did not inspire her to grow and to develop. But Mr. Meredith also wrote an encouraging article for women titled, True Womanhood, Is It a Lost uh, Cause? That was in the Plain Truth magazine, November 1965. I'll just mention them in passing. The five feminine characteristics are, one, responsiveness and service. I gave a sermon by that very title, Responsiveness and Service. It applies not only to Christian women, but to all of us, men and women. Uh, two, tenderness and beauty. Three, intelligence and understanding. Four, Christian virtue. Five, faith, hope, and courage. And we do need courage in these times. And we need to apply these biblical characteristics in our lives that enrich the lives of others and strengthen our marriage and our family. Well, let's take a look at some biblical examples of encouragement. Joshua, the first chapter, you know, is a classic example of how God encouraged Joshua in his new responsibilities after he led Israel after Moses' death. Joshua, the first chapter, let's look at uh, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Eternal spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, and then he talked about Moses being dead, but then in verse Five, he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was, was with Moses, so will I be with you. God gives us that encouragement. And, of course, we know in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You and I have that promise. We have that encouragement. 
As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, verse 5. Be strong and of good courage. So God is exhorting, encouraging, as telling, instructing Joshua to be strong. Uh, sometimes we don't feel like being strong. We don't like feel like being courageous. But God says we need to make a commitment and a decision to be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong. Again, he repeats the instruction. And very courageous that you may be observed to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. So God has cause and effect the spiritual laws that are unseen, but they're very true and dependable and predictable in cause and effect. This book of the law, verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And I'll refer you back to the sermon we had recently, Practice Godly Meditation. But God gave strong encouragement to Joshua. The Apostle Paul was in prison, and he needed encouragement. How was he encouraged? Let's turn back to Second Timothy, the first chapter. You know, we all have our periods of disappointment, discouragement, depression even sometimes. Second uh, Timothy 1, starting in verse 13. He's writing to the young man, Timothy, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who or which dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now the Apostle Paul would have been very discouraged that here those who were supporting him have now betrayed him, have now left him. He no longer has that support. And we've seen that, of course, in the church from time to time, where those we thought were faithful, were supportive, have left. He goes on to say, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. Now here is someone who encouraged the Apostle Paul, did not leave him, Notice this, and was not ashamed of my chain. So even while the Apostle Paul was in prison, someone came to refresh him, to uplift him, support him, and encourage him. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. So again, here's another example of encouragement by Onesiphorus to the Apostle Paul. Let's turn to Acts, the fourth chapter, for one more example, a biblical example of encouragement. Acts, the fourth chapter, and verse 32. Acts 4 and verse 32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. And again, this is... Uh, the Apostle Peter and, and uh, John are arrested. They address the Sanhedrin. They're told not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. This is not communism as we've described in our literature. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Nor was there any anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And of course, we need to have that attitude of realizing there are future needs that people will have during times of natural disasters. We've already started an emergency fund, which the brethren have responded very positively to, and we thank you for contributing to that. And there may be needs in times of disaster where we need to help one another financially. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles. Now notice this, Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. 
a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, brethren, we all need to be sons and daughters of encouragement. We need to encourage others, and we also need personal encouragement. You know, sometimes when I feel down, I pray to God for encouragement, but I realize that I need to pray not only for myself. I say, oh, Father, I'm discouraged. Please give me encouragement and help me to encourage others, I add to the prayer. So it isn't just a selfish prayer, but one that will lead to encouragement for others. We do need to grow in courage. Dr. Meredith wrote in his uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, True Christians Need Courage. That's the May-June 2000 personal. He wrote, quote, Courage is something that may come naturally to some, but it can also be developed to a high degree by sincere and persistent effort. Courage is a quality which all of us truly need in the years just ahead if we are to follow the true Christianity of the Bible, end of quote. We just read back in Joshua 1 and verse 6, Be strong and of good courage, God told Joshua. Mr. Partian wrote an article in the July 2007 Living Church News, It Takes Courage to Be a True Christian. He wrote this, If you are a true Christian, this is the way you must think and live. Nothing should separate you from God. No difficulty, no trouble, no persecution, not anything or anyone. God loves you and will always protect you. He will watch over you. He will lead you to victory if you will only yield to him and trust him courageously. The Bible is filled with examples of men and women who develop the courage to obey God. Well, there's those in the parable of the sower and the seed in Matthew 13. That when troubles came, people just, they were excited about the truth, but then they were persecuted by family or friends, and they left. They didn't have the courage to stand. Continuing, the Bible is filled with examples of men and women who developed the courage to obey God. Read their examples as in Hebrews 11 and follow them. As Paul exhorted us, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Then 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 through 14. What a tremendous warning and encouragement, Mr. Partian writes. Let's all heed it. Let us all heed it. It was interesting. I didn't, you know, sometimes you, you read the scripture and you don't realize what words are there. But that was interesting. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave. Be strong. Somehow that, that uh, phrase has never stuck in my mind of uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be brave and be strong. But that's an exhortation we have. We need to grow in godly courage. We need to see the big picture. And, of course, what helps us to see the big picture is the Feast of Tabernacles, where we visualize the kingdom. We have the World Ahead uh, booklet, The World Ahead, What Will It Be Like?, written by Dr. Meredith. And, of course, uh, we had the sermon last week, The Gun Lap, in which we are encouraged to have that spiritual adrenaline to finish the job with all our hearts, as he says in the concluding of his sermon, and really mean it. And then we will be rewarded. We will shine like the stars forever and ever in the kingdom of God, in the very family of God, and bear the name of God forever. That's his sermon titled, The Gun Lap, which we all heard here last week. We do need to pray for encouragement. David, when he was down, he was persecuted, he was chased uh, by uh, the king and his enemies from time to time, but he had to pray for deliverance. Let's take a look at one of those prayers for encouragement when he was down. Psalm 6. I think of this as one of those psalms of correction, where David is saying, have mercy upon me. And of course, sometimes people like Job, said, well, I want to be justified. I have an advocate who shows me that I'm right. Uh, no, uh, David prayed for mercy, didn't pray for justice. Uh, Psalm 6, and he was in pain and suffering. Uh, he realized that because of his physical pain that God was correcting him through that particular instance. 
And he said, O Eternal, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Eternal, for I am weak. Do you ever ask God for mercy? O Eternal, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Eternal, how long? And again, David complained to God in a way. Well, how long is it going to be before you deliver me, before you heal me? It's all right to express your feelings to God. He's not threatened by it. He knows your thoughts and your attitude, and he's pleading for God to intervene. Return, O Eternal, deliver me, O save me, for your mercy's sake. And as I mentioned before, why should God save you? You know you're, you're about to die and you're asking God to keep you alive? What reason are you going to give him? David gave God a reason in verse 6, verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? So David's saying, look, if you let me die, you're not going to hear me giving you thanks anymore. So you need to keep me alive. But we, God wants us to give him reasons, and uh, he was asking for encouragement. But, you know, David always, even when he was down, he would normally conclude his psalms and his prayers with a positive point. He said, verse 10, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. But he says in verse 9, The Eternal has heard my supplication. The Eternal will receive my prayer. So David asked for protection. He asked for deliverance. And uh, actually, when you read through the Psalms, 26 times David uh, pleads with God in the Psalms, Deliver me. 26 times. Psalm 59.1. Well, let's take a look at that, for example. Psalm 59.1. So when we're discouraged, God can give us encouragement. We sometimes have to plead for deliverance, plead for mercy, plead for encouragement. Here in Psalm 59 is one of those 26 times David pleaded for deliverance. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. And he concludes, of course, in a positive way, verse 17, To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. And, of course, in the outline prayer Jesus gave, we start off by honoring God's name, his authority, his power, who he is, his omnipotence. And then we conclude the outline prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We focus on God's power and omnipotence and glory at the beginning of our prayer and at the conclusion of our prayer. The Apostle Paul also, of course, when he was in prison, and we've read those. I'll, I'll just refer that to you. Uh, what, did, what did the Apostle Paul do when he was in prison? With chains on his legs. Sang hymns. I won't turn there. I'll just refer you to Acts 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And prisoners were listening to them. Again, you can uh, refer back to the sermon on practice godly thinking. To have that positive attitude, to maintain a positive and tranquil mind. Philippians 4, of course, verses 4 through 8, gives us that encouragement. And we need to encourage our children, too. I remember as a little boy the book, which was actually, I think, one of the world's most distributed books, until Mr. Partian mentioned to me that the Prince in French was the most distributed book in the world. But... Uh, <clears throat> He, uh, the, the little engine that could was such an impressive story. Here's this little engine, and he's trying to pull some other cars over a mountain and a hill, and he, he can't quite do it. But he keeps saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And I remember uh, back in Pasadena when the freshman class basketball team was losing all of its games. Mr. Herbert Armstrong told the freshman class, well, he can who thinks he can. You freshman basketball players, you, you can do better than that. And so the cheerleaders the, the next uh, Saturday night when the freshmen were playing, I think the seniors, and the cheerleaders came out and they said, he can who thinks he can. He can who thinks he can. And 
the freshmen won that basketball game, the only game they won all season. <laughs> but we need to practice that positive thinking and, again, seek uh, wise counsel. Uh, Proverbs 27.9, I won't turn there, but ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. So when we need encouragement, sometimes we need to go to friends who will give us hearty counsel. The sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. That's Proverbs 27 and verse 9. How else can we be encouraged when we're discouraged? Well, we need to listen to the ministry. That was one of the points in the Bible study Mr. Lee gave here just Wednesday night in how to be an effective student or disciple, and that is listen to the ministry. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. 1 Thessalonians 3. The Apostle Paul has set, I mean, it was one of the teachers, of course, and God has set teachers in the church, apostles and prophets, evangelists. Here in 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, and starting with verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, that he was concerned for the uh, congregation at Thessalonica, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. The word for encourage here is um, the uh, Strong's number 3870, parakaleo. And it means to call a person or denotes to call or entreat or to beseech or to encourage. And again, it's the same uh, word parakletus, which was the a uh, Greek word in John, the 14th chapter, for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper. And so here we have that comfort and that encouragement. The word is parakaleo, uh, to establish you and encourage you. In the King James Version, that Greek word is translated beseech, 43 times, comfort, 23 times, exhort, 21 times, uh, pray, 6 times, and treat, uh, 3 times. So he says, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distresses, we were comforted uh, concerning you by your faith. First Th- Thessalonians 3 and verse 7. And again, that is also um, parakaleo in uh, verse 7. That they were comforted concerning you by your faith. So as Mr. League brought out in his uh, Bible study Wednesday night, we need to listen to our teachers. One other way that we can be encouraged personally is to let God's correction encourage us. Let's go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12. And again, uh, we realize, as Dr. Meredith has written, that one of the keys that indicate a converted Christian is the willingness to be corrected. Of course, there are proverbs that he that resists correction stiffens his neck, you know, is going to be punished. But again, God wants us to be corrected, and we need, I don't like to ask for correction, personally. Uh, you know, he says in Jeremiah 10, he says, uh, you know, correct me, O Lord, not in your anger, but with judgment, lest I be brought to nothing. Uh, Jeremiah 10:23. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his paths. Correct me, O Lord, they, Jeremiah says. And I, every time I ask God that, you know what? He corrects me. And uh, it's, it's, it's painful at times. But what does he say here in the correction with love chapter, which is Hebrews, the 12th chapter? Hebrews 12. Let's get to that here. Second. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, starting with verse 11. He says, uh, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. But what is the fruit of it? If you are exercised by that correction, if you're willing to find out what is it I need to change, 
No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so I know one time I was corrected publicly in a forum at uh, Ambassador College when I was, I think, uh, second my second year. I was president of the Corral, and the uh, individual giving the the message referred to me not by name, but to, to a certain incident. And here I am in the back of the assembly hall, and I'm just, I'm hearing the correction. I'm just kind of folding up right in like a little flower into the wall, you know. I thought, oh, all right. Well, if that's the way you feel about it, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to kind of blend into the forest and the wall. You're not going to hear from me anymore, you know. Well, that was my initial reaction to the correction. But I realized later, no, that's not how you react to correction. How, how should you react? Verse 12, Hebrews 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You must make a dr- dramatic, courageous change in your life. Figure out what is it that you need to change and make that change. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without no one shall see the Lord. So again, we need to take encouragement from correction. We need to grow in godly courage, to build courage and faith. We need to see the big picture. And of course, we have a DVD by that title, uh, The Big Picture. Uh, which shows the history of the work. And if you haven't seen that, certainly uh, recommend that you uh, request a copy of that DVD, The Big Picture. Then pray for encouragement. David prayed for encouragement. The Apostle Paul was encouraged by those who visited him in prison. We need to seek wise counsel. We need to listen to the ministry. And we need to let God's correction encourage us. So we've seen some ways for us to personally be encouraged. But we also need to take the warning and admonition not to discourage others. Have you discouraged others? Now, again, we need to understand there's a a proper approach and um, true true love and a strong uh, correction for our children. That is tough love. But God wants us to be encouragers, not discouragers. Uh, You're familiar, of course, with Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Let's turn there. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, that we can actually destroy the enthusiasm of children wrongly. And uh, God gives us that particular admonition in verse 4 of Ephesians 6. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, yes, the discipline, and admonition of the Lord. So you can be a discourager. You know, uh, Dale Carnegie's uh, classic book on how to win friends and influence teachers, influence uh, people. On page 258, he writes this, quote, tell your, tell your child, your spouse, or your employee that he or she is stupid or dumb at a certain thing, has no gift for it, and is doing it all wrong, and you will have destroyed almost every incentive to try to improve. But use the opposite technique, Be liberal with your encouragement. Make the thing seem easy to do. Let the other person know that you have faith in his ability to do it, that he has an undeveloped flair for it, and he will practice until the dawn comes in the window in order to excel. Well, I mentioned this to you before, but God gives us encouragement. He gives us the blessings and cursings. And so from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, From obedience to God's way of love, his laws of love, he gives us blessings and benefits. We already saw that. And so in the matter of uh, Joshua, that he said, you keep these commandments, you will prosper, you will succeed. And all the way to the book of Revelation, where he shows that those who keep the commandments of God are going to be in the kingdom of God. So there is that law of reinforcement, of positive reinforcement, uh, years ago, I uh, was when I was working on my master's degree in communication, read this book that uh, was quite fascinating. It had shown research uh, by uh, on this whole matter of uh, reinforcement, positive reinforcement. 
It's called by uh, Debert and uh, Norman on um, changing human behavior. Well, I found this uh, to be true in my own life, but I know that our students, when they were in uh, Jordan, were working with handicapped, physically disadvantaged children. And they used the positive reinforcement principle to help them. I remember one of our ambassador students and uh, I was uh, telling me about the story of trying to get this child to do a broad jump with just a couple inches. In other words, just to put both feet together and then kind of hop forward. Well, the child wasn't going to do that, but she said, well, just, just try to hop one inch. And so the child hopped one inch and said, good boy, you did a great job, gave him positive reinforcement because he had succeeded. And that when you think about the matter of teaching a child to put on a T-shirt. Now, a T-shirt, I have a crew neck on right now, but can you tell a child how to put on a T-shirt? It's a difficult operation. When you really think about it, I do it without even thinking. But the first step would be that you put your hands through the neck hole in the bottom so that you can put the T-shirt over your head. Okay, when you teach a child to do that, that's step number one. You reward the child. Little children need physical rewards. Teenagers need words of encouragement as a reward. But here you say, okay, you did step one. Good boy. So the next day, you do step one plus step two. I don't know what step two is. I think you put your hand through one of the armholes, I think. is So you do step one and step two, reward the child for step one and two. And then the next day, the third day, step one, step two, and step three, and give the child a reward. That positive reinforcement has worked, and it is a biblical principle to encourage one another. I mean, I, I've, I, I've made the mistake, you know, in the past, I, my, my wife you know, went out of her way to put candles on the table, and I come home, and I'm not in a good mood, and I didn't say this, but I could have said, well, you know, here's this beautiful table setting, and the candle's lit. And I said, what are you trying to do, heat up the house? Well, of course, that's negative reinforcement. She's never, ever going to put, you know, candles on the table again. But I say, honey, oh, that was so thoughtful. You're so nice. What's she going to do? She's going to do it again because it's positive reinforcement. The law of reinforcement states any living organism will tend to repeat behaviors for which it's rewarded and tend not to repeat behaviors for which it is not rewarded. And that is apply, can be applied um, unethically, which it has been applied unethically, or it can be applied in a biblical way of encouraging people to grow, to overcome. Let's turn to, we already saw Hebrews twelve eleven about strengthening uh, the hands that uh, lie down. Dr. Jeff Fall, in uh, his successful Parenting God's Way, uh, states it this way, If our spouse only loves us when we are doing something pleasing, such as bringing a gift, cooking a nice meal, or giving a back rub, we will feel unloved more often than not, and our relation will suffer. Love must be unconditional. And, of course, we have a sermon in our library, Unconditional Love. He goes on to say, Scripture instructs us, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So children need to feel loved, not just feel corrected. If our only communication with our children is correction, it will take long for them to become, it won't take long uh, for them to become discouraged and feel like an inadequate, unloved failure, a consequence of the authoritarian style of parenting. So we do need to encourage our children with positive reinforcement and unconditional love. Uh, when I was teaching at summer educational program in Orr, Minnesota years ago, we were discussing the Ten Commandments. And uh, one young girl from Southern California uh, who actually came from kind of a dysfunctional family, and she was the outstanding student in my class. She probably was about 14 or 15 years old. And that afternoon, as I was walking by there on the campus in Orr, Minnesota, on Pelican Lake, where we had the campus, I saw her come out of the telephone booth, and she was in tears. I said, well, what's the matter? She said, my mother said, you are stupid. You can't do anything right. I said, what? I said, you were the best student in my class this morning. 
parents can destroy, as uh, Dr. Fall mentioned in this successful parenting book, can destroy initiative. At the same time, we can encourage initiative, and of course we have to make sure that we are not discouraging, and sometimes we can do that with being self-appointed critics. I think I told you the story before, years ago when I pastored a congregation, there was one individual with his friends in there. Uh, he was, I called him a self-appointed uh, spot remover. He went around to everyone in the congregation telling them everything they were doing wrong. And he was causing division, you know, uh, in the congregation. And God says, and those who sow discord are an abomination. He says in um, 6.10, that is Proverbs 6.10. So we have to be careful that we are not super criticals. God wants us to think critically. We teach that at Living University. But God does not want us to attack with a rebellious attitude the leadership in his church. And, of course, Dr. Meredith invites input and counsel, and we all need that. But we need to make sure that we are not self-appointed critics, self-appointed spot removers, because God tells us, of course, in uh, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. And why are you trying to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you have this big plank sticking out of your own eye? You know, judge yourself first. Let's turn there, 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, as uh, the Passover is uh, just nine weeks from tomorrow night on uh, April 17th. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter in preparation for the Passover, and also to understand that we are not to discourage others by being supercritics. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and the Apostle Paul gives the summary of the Passover. But notice here, he says that those who, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 11, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So again, we need to be careful that we are not the critic who is always trying to uh, uh, judge someone else. We need to know our own Achilles heel, as we heard in the sermonette, that God will honor our calling and that we won't live in a fantasy world that we will understand our weaknesses and strive to overcome, to judge ourselves and not try to be a universal critic. It was a famous speech that uh, President Theodore Roosevelt gave at the Sorbonne in France, and that was April 23, 1910. It was called Citizenship in a Republic. Uh, this is the uh, third most... Uh, quoted quote of Theodore Roosevelt. It's called the man in the arena, or it's also called not the critic. This is what President Theodore Roosevelt said in that speech. Quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. And it's called, this is called in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. End of quote. Well, it's not the critic who counts, but the converted Christian who is striving daily to enter in at the straight gate or the narrow gate, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able so are you an encourager or a discourager? We need to avoid discouraging others. But how can we encourage others? I'll give you seven quick points in the, the remainder of the sermon. Let's turn to James, the fifth chapter, James 1. And I know at times in my life that things are going so well for me. I said, why, why are things going so well for me? Well, I know why. 
because someone's praying for me. That's why. And uh, again, it's wonderful to get uh, little encouragements here and there. Five, James 5 and verse 16. James 5, verse 16. Here he's talking about our specific needs. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We have two prayer requests in our church bulletin. I hope you take that church bulletin home and that you pray for those individuals that are listed there. I have, a, you know, in my little week at a glance here, um, a listing of, of all, I have about 65 people on my little list. I put it in little tiny font so that it could fit in this little book and uh, listing about 65 people. Of course, that's not all the people that need prayer. Uh, there are many more that need prayer. But it's a reminder to me of those who need prayer. Pray one for another that you may be healed. So we can encourage one another by praying for one another. And I just, of course, get notes. Dr. Meredith gets notes. We all get notes from time to time at headquarters. Uh, I got a note just uh, here recently uh, from the um, Memphis Spokesman Club, just a note of encouragement and saying, well, we're praying for you. Well, that's encouraging to know that someone is praying for us. Pray for one another. That's one way that you can encourage others. Number two is the law of reinforcement that I already mentioned. God the Father had this voice, or there was an angelic voice from heaven, uh, sending on the message from God the Father, Matthew 3.17, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So again, we want to encourage others. As again, Dr. Fall writes in a successful parenting booklet, Parents train or discipline their children with encouragement, praise, and rewards, and also with correction and penalties. This is the same principle that God uses with us. He promises us blessings for obedience and corrections and penalties for disobedience. So again, we need to apply the law of reinforcement, of positive reinforcement. Tonight we will be uh, experiencing the wonderful fun show. And, of course, part of that has to do with those who have the courage to stand up and to give. And, of course, I want to encourage all of the performers to realize that sometimes we get nervous when we're before the public. But there's one key that uh, all of you performers need to remember. First John 4:18, Perfect love casts out fear. Well, you say, I don't have perfect love. Well, pray for perfect love. <laughs> and so that will cast out that fear, and we will be recapturing the true values tonight in the fun show of humor, of entertainment, of music, and of giving. And, of course, that's why are you on the stage tonight, because you are giving. You know, freely you have received, freely give. We want to recapture the true values. And, again, to apply encouragement to those, as we do when we have our children's choir sing or youth choir sing in uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or in the congregation. They're the only group we applaud. We don't applaud... Uh, you know, the other special music and uh, for adults, but we do want to give that kind of encouragement to our children. Another way, of course, of uh, doing that in the law of reinforcement is to pray for love to cast out fear. So that's, again, that's a very point of how to show encouragement to others. Pray for that love to cast out fear. First John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. And, of course, John, uh, Matthew 5, 48, Become you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. How? By giving unconditional love to love your enemies, to do good to those that persecute you, and pray for those that despitefully use you, as Jesus said there in Matthew 5, verses 44 through 48. How else can we encourage one another? That is to honor one another. And we've emphasized this in recent sermons, but let's take a look at it in Philippians 2 again. Philippians, the second chapter. Christ set the example of being a servant. He said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And that is to be a loving and faithful servant. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love 
if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. And we've had to deal with even ministers who have had that selfish ambition. They weren't out to serve, and they're not with us anymore. We, you, that, is, uh, that is not godly at all. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem or value others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. So a genuine, genuine interest in others. And while my wife and I were talking about this principle this morning, I believe it was, uh, she was concerned about, well, you show a genuine interest in others, but what kind of questions are you asking? How old are you? No, where'd you get that scar on your face? You know, we need to be sensitive to others when we show interest in others. There are certain questions you should not ask. Be sensitive and be caring. And uh, why are you in that wheelchair? You know, we don't ask those questions. You know, if people ask, you can ask, uh, you know, is there something you want me to pray about, which may open the door for them to share with you some personal information. But, of course, we need to avoid gossip when we show interest in others. As it says in Leviticus 19.16, that you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the eternal. You don't go about as a talebearer. How incredible the rumors that sometimes come to this headquarters and saying uh, outrageous things that uh, Dr. Meredith has planned or headquarters have planned that are like outer space. Where do those come from? Never, never, never pass on a rumor. If you are going to pass on something, give the source. You say, Mr. Bob League told me this. <laughs> then you can go back to the source and you can correct the information if it's wrong. But it's just outrageous, some of the crazy rumors that people pass on. Why do they pass these rumors on? It's a matter, again, it's like the proverb says, it's like a juicy morsel that goes down to the stomach. It's vanity. It's something, I can tell you something here, which is not true and not right. But give the source if you are going to pass on information. And, of course, we try with our whole heart for as a policy, editorial policy for our telecast and for our publications, to be accurate and try to have the documentation for the statements that we make so that at least there's a source for that statement. We may not be uh, uh, corroborating or that is putting uh, our imprimatur on that statement, but at least we are giving the source of that statement. You know, Dale Carnegie in his book, again, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, if we are to show love and honor our brothers and sisters in the church, quote, remember that a person's name is to him or her the sweetest and most important sound in any language, something I need to work on. And uh, when you try to say someone's name, you try to think, what is that person's name? And uh, it is the sweetest sound in any language. He gives an example here of this positive reinforcement in uh, page 246 of How to Win Friends and Influence People. Many years ago, a boy of 10 was working in a factory in Naples, he longed to be a singer, but his first teacher discouraged him. You can't sing, he said. You haven't any voice at all. It sounds like the wind in the shutters, end of quote. But his mother, a poor peasant woman, put her arms around him and praised him and told him she knew he could sing. She could already see an improvement, and she went barefoot in order to save money to pay for his music lessons. That peasant mother's praise and encouragement changed that boy's life. His name was Enrico Caruso, and he became the greatest and most famous opera singer of his age. So there are times when you do encourage people. Of course, you don't encourage them to do things that they, it's impossible for them to do, uh, but uh, physically impossible, I might say. But nonetheless, we can encourage others and show love towards our brethren. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Philippians 2 and verse 3. And of course, sometimes while doing that, 
uh, we have to uh, sometimes give evaluations. Our spokesman club uh, gives us the principles of how to help your brother improve. And, of course, you start off by saying something positive. Uh, sometimes we get so anxious, we want to say, well, you made all these mistakes and so forth without, without the first recognition that you are a person I love, you are a person I honor, uh, you did something good here. And, uh, of course, as I said in the law of reinforcement, the children can reinforce their parents, too. And I've told the children that, you know, parents, children, if your parents do anything right that you want to reinforce, even if it's by mistake, reinforce them. <laughs> Give them positive reinforcement and encouragement. They will tend to repeat that behavior in the future. All right, we found a, another way of encouraging others, and that is by honoring our brothers and sisters in the church and, again, showing encouragement to them. Another one is to communicate often. Mr. Bob Lee's Bible study I referred to uh, says one of his points was discuss the material or the instruction that you're learning with other students. And he referred to Malachi 3. Of course, let's turn back there to the Malachi, the third chapter, again, which gives us that encouragement to communicate often. We've already commented on how to communicate. We need to be sensitive of other people's sensitivities. And to, again, find out if there's something good. Uh, you know, you've probably had parents. I know my parents said you've heard the uh, classic expression. Don't say anything about someone else unless you can say something good about him. And it may be difficult to find something good, you know, about someone. Uh, but search for that positive point that needs reinforcement. Malachi, the third chapter here, in the, starting with verse 16. Then those who feared the Eternal spoke to one another, and the Eternal listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Eternal and who meditate on his name. So again, we need to speak often one to another. And uh, that's what it, the word often is in the King James, not in the New King James. And they that feared the Eternal spoke often one to another. So share good news. It's always good to know that there is good news. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. That's Proverbs 25 and verse 25. So to encourage others, again, uh, communicate often. Next in uh, line of encouraging others is to meet with the brethren on the Sabbath. And, of course, we already read that, Hebrews 10, verse 24 let, uh, well, let's turn there again. Hebrews, uh, the 10th chapter, uh, so important. There's so many of these independent Christians who say, I don't, you know, I don't need to have anyone else to fellowship with. I, I'm uh, my own man and so forth. Well, what does it say in Hebrews 10, again in verse uh, 24? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, Yes, is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, of course, that really is the thematic verse for the sermon, to encourage one another, and so much the more as you see that day approaching. Exhort one another so much more as you see that day approaching. And we can do that by meeting together with the brethren on the Sabbath. And seven, well, I didn't no number these, but the uh, seventh one, if you had been numbering, uh, the final one is to set an example of service. Let's turn to Galatians, uh, the sixth, uh, fifth, well, fifth chapter, first of all, Galatians 5. We want to set an example of service. Your example can be an encouragement. You know, if any, has anyone ever tell, told you, well, you're kind, you're merciful, you're thoughtful? You know, your example can go a long way. To helping others. Galatians 5, starting with uh, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not liberty as uh, use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you can uh, be consumed by one another. 
So set an example of service. Through love, serve one another. And as Mr. League was pointing out, next week we'll be meeting again in the new hall, and uh, he's organized uh, deacons and deaconesses, and we have a good group of servers who are going to help you to find your way through the auditorium in the new theater style. It's going to be a beautiful hall in which to meet, but we can't really operate unless we have servants, and many of you are serving. We really appreciate that, appreciate that example, and, of course, the service that helps us to do things decently and in order. So thank you for that service. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Galatians 6 and verse 9, again, which has to do with our purpose as the lights of the world and the salt of the earth. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary with, while doing good, but in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So it should be a mission statement of all of us to, as we have opportunity, to, to do good unto all, and especially the household of faith. You can learn how to uh, serve. Of course, there are many different ways. You know, one of those examples of leadership, and I appreciated it. I forget what it was just the other day um, when uh, one of those principles is for leadership is initiative. See what needs to be done and do it without being told. You know, sometimes I, I told you the story before years ago how I saw two faculty wives there at uh, Ambassador College my freshman year, and they had just come from El Rancho, the supermarket, walking right uh, in front of my dormitory on the way to their home. And they each were carrying uh, large uh, sacks of groceries. And uh, I said, hi, Mrs. So-and-so, hi, Mrs. So-and-so, and went into my dormitory. And I got inside and said, you dummy, you didn't even offer to help carry those groceries. So sometimes we don't even see the opportunities of service. And we need to, again, see and understand the needs of others and to fulfill those godly needs. That's another definition and approach of love, true love to see the godly needs of others and to strive to fulfill those needs. So he tells us again that we need to, through love, serve one another and let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. So are we loving one another? Are we encouraging the body of Christ or are we discouraging one another? Are we encouraging the brethren? Are we encouraging those who are even in the world? And Dr. Meredith wrote this in the co-worker letter of April 14, 2005, in terms of encouraging others. Each of us needs to meditate regularly on whether or not we are truly reflecting Jesus Christ more and more as each year goes by, whether we are worshiping God more wholeheartedly and making Him the actual center of our thoughts and actions, whether we truly love our neighbors all of them, and try to help, encourage, and serve each human being with whom we have come in contact. Do you really think that way? About serving, encouraging each human being with whom we come in contact. He continues, whether we are sincerely zealous in the work of God and are doing our part to proclaim Christ's full message to, quote, every creature, end of quote, which is Mark 16, verse 15. Let's turn back here to, again, Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We've uh, looked at it a couple times, but we'll conclude with that, that verse. And when I say conclude, that doesn't mean in the next minute. It may mean uh, in a few minutes from now. I, I know one of our speakers here says, uh, well, just one more, one more verse and one more scripture. We go on with five more. I won't say who that is. <clears throat> But uh, I won't make such promises. But uh, again, here in uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, uh, where he says that we need to not forsake one another, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves, but exhorting one another. As I gave you the other translations, it can be encouraging one another. So how can we do that? Well, I, I didn't number them, but I'll number them for you now. How can we encourage others? Number one, 
pray for number, pray for one another. Number two was to apply the law of reinforcement. That is, give positive reinforcement to encourage. Number three, to pray for love to cast out fear. That's 1 John 4, verse 18. Number four, in encouraging others is to honor your brother and sister. Of course, be careful about what questions you ask. And five, communicate often, as we saw in Malachi, the third chapter. And number six is to meet with our brethren on the Sabbath, as we just read here in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And number seven, set an example of service. We are living in dangerous times. We need to support one another. We need to exhort one another. We need to encourage and reinforce one another. So he says here in verse 25, but exhorting one another or encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, we need to support one another as that day approaches. So brethren, let's always love one another. Let's always encourage one another.